He did you know that rats giggle when they're happy? Yeah, so this has actually been known for quite some time. We just can't hear them. The ultrasonic vocalizations are about 50 kilohertz or 50,000 hertz vocalizations well above the range of human hearing. And these ultrasonic giggles have been well linked to rat joy. They do these when they're being extremely sociable or often when they're getting tickled <laughs> by humans, in fact. So when they're getting a pleasurable experience, the equivalent of a belly rub. Kia ora, no mai haramai kitiao hurihanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Klerken Kanan Tēnei. Today, we're talking animal emotions with Professor Himena Nelson from the University of Canterbury. Himena studies animal behaviour and physiology. Recently, I've been working on the idea of emotions in non-human animals, specifically in Kia, although I collaborate with people who work on primates and on cetaceans as well. And we are trying to investigate how to look at emotions, how to measure emotions, specifically positive emotions. Negative emotions are slightly easier to measure because an animal like a dog might yelp. But positive emotions are a little bit harder to disambiguate. And so we're trying to find a way of measuring that and then finding, once we can reliably measure that, trying to work out if they affect, for example, decision-making or sociability or other aspects of the behaviour of the animal as they do in humans. Think about how tricky this is to actually study. First, how can you tell if an animal is joyful or happy? You can't ask them. And second, how can you test whether that mood impacts their decision-making? First things first, spotting joy. I mean, my mind immediately goes to dogs. Their emotions can be so easy to read. But Himena cautions that they're quite a special case. It is quite hard to, in some ways, to extrapolate from animals that have been what you might almost call co-domesticated. So it's quite hard to extrapolate from an animal from which we've had thousands, tens of thousands of years living together and cohabiting together to an animal that is rather different. First of all, that does not is not a domestic animal. And also, for example, in the case of Kia, I mean, the musculature of the face is completely different to that of mammals. And so whereas mammals might be thought of as, in some cases, capable of smiling in all primates, and often you hear that referred to in dogs as well, in a bird it simply couldn't happen because they just don't have the correct muscles to be able to do something like have a crinkly eye or whatever might give away a, a classic smile. So you can't look for smiles or crinkly eyes and, as was the case for the rats, happy animals might even be giving off signals that we just can't sense. There's all sorts of other things that we don't even think of that animals might be using as a sensory system. You know, there's magnetoreception, there's electroreception, there's also this infrasound below the range of human hearing. There's, you know, a, ability to see in ultraviolet, all sorts of things that we don't have the ability to do. And so, yeah, it does take thinking outside the box to work out, well, is it because there's nothing there or is it because I just don't perceive it to be there? And that's quite aside from the problems of it not being able to answer you a direct question, you know, are you feeling happy or whatever. So I guess step one is presuming that animals can have positive emotions and then looking for what their tells might be. For Himena, the idea for this research was sparked by her own observations of Kia in the wild. Kia are famously playful and I spend a lot of time in the mountains 
And I'd seen them doing a lot of pretty interesting play behavior, including some, I mean, play behavior is something that is, is often considered to be some sort of, you know, kind of outward expression of joy. But on the other hand, you could also equally argue that play is a way of practicing skills like, you know, hand-eye coordination or poor eye coordination in the case of a dog or a cat with a piece of yarn or hunting skills or things like this. So, so you can be practicing, or in the case of humans, social skills. Imagine a toddler when, you know, the toy has gone the wrong way around and it, all hell breaks loose, right? So you've got to learn the tit-for-tat approaches to, to play, and that teaches humans and other primates social skills. So there are lots of functions to play, but what I've seen in Kia is, is often play that really defies any kind of functional logic. Starting with this premise that Kia do experience positive emotions and are playful and joyful, the next question is, how do you identify the markers of this? What does Kia joy look like? I then started looking at Kia communication because at the time, really, we kind of only thought that Kia had the one call. But anybody who's been around Kia knows, and anybody who actually knows the first thing about birds knows it, it's pretty unlikely that they would have one type of call. So I decided to just try and work out, you know, what kind of calls I had, how many calls I had, and specifically if the calls had any given function, and found actually that it's not that straightforward, <laughs> um, that calls aren't necessarily associated very clearly or specifically one, with one type of behavior, that many calls are attributable to lots of types of behavior. But one call that did stand out was, was what we call a warble call, which is often termed Kia laughter. And that was a call that was associated very, very frequently with play and with almost nothing else. And it elicited, so when an animal or a kia did a warble call, it seemed to elicit playful behavior in the kia that were around it. So then the idea was, okay, well, we have to actually experimentally manipulate this, test this. So we... Um, we did some playback experiments with Kia-proof speakers, which is a lot easier said than done. So how the experiment worked is that Himena and her team would head to a location near Arthur's Pass where they know Kia tend to hang out. Once some Kia showed up, they would play some sounds. The wobble call. A pure tone of a thousand hertz, which is in the same frequency band as Kia calls and hearing. South Island Robin territorial call. In two of the other care calls, the screech or contact call and the whistle call, which is a kind of a, a sweet call, really. It sounds, well, it sounds like a whistle. So the experimenter and speaker are hidden at a distance away from the care, and then the research begins. We looked at the behaviour of the bird for five minutes before the playback. For the duration of the playback, which was discontinuous, so we had a few seconds of call, a few seconds off, a few seconds on. And then for the next five minutes, we looked at the behaviour. And what did you find? And we found that they did not change their um, play behaviour at all with any of the other calls bar the wobble call, and that the wobble call did increase both the time that they spent playing and um, the number of separate play bouts that they exhibited. This research into warble calls that Himena and her team did was quite some time ago now. What's the next stage that they've been working on? We can at least conclude the contagion part, but we want to know whether or not it's a truly kind of a feeling of 
joy, if you like. And so there are a few things that we want to do is, first of all, we just want to see what the correlates of feeling potentially joyous, for lack of a better word, is. And we want to see if these emotions are also kind of driving decisions as they do in humans. So emotions drive decisions as do moods drive decisions in humans. It's well established that a lot of economic decisions that are made by humans that are not very rational are driven by moods. In fact, as far as I'm aware, Nobel Prizes have been won on that. And so we want to see whether or not, for example, Kia might interpret something as a glass half full versus a glass half empty, depending on whether or not, for example, it's heard a warble call. So having identified something that looks like it elicits a positive emotion in care, this is that equally tricky second part, testing whether this positive emotion affects their decision making. The idea being, if you play a key, a warble call, and you present it with some sort of ambiguous stimulus, like a glass with half of a glass full of water, does it approach it very quickly compared to a Kia that might have heard a different type of call that isn't necessarily going to put it in a good mood? Willowbank is a wildlife reserve in all Tautahi Christchurch, and Himena has been working with them to develop this next round of experiments with captive care that they can train. But it takes a lot of careful thought and time to set up this experiment in a way that gives a clear answer. Why, I ask, research positive emotions in animals? Why do it? Now that it's feasible to do, I think it's important to try and actually get past the notion that maybe humans are the only animals that might have the capacity to feel joy. And one of the problems with this, and it, you know, it, it can face a few obstacles, is that it takes us off the pedestal a little bit. And if uh, we accept that animals are capable of feeling joy and pleasure. It kind of gives some sort of intrinsic value to their lives, which might be an uncomfortable truth to face up to. Does it also allow for a future where animal welfare is not just looking at a lack of pain, but actually that you are able to set up conditions and scenarios where you have joyful animals? That's what I'd like to see, Yeah. So I think that once we can master some indicators of positive animal emotion in key species that we might, for example, have as domestic, domesticated species, then we can potentially design ways in which we can keep our animals in, for example, enclosures that have got better enrichment that will allow the animals to not just not suffer, which is kind of currently a little bit what it's like, but actually to enjoy, you know, to, to have the capacity to, to lead a, a fairly fulfilled life. And some might argue that it's never going to be fulfilled if it's not wild. And there's some merit to that argument. But of course, they also, when animals are in the wild, they also <laughs> have a lot of pain and suffering. You know, they get killed, they get attacked, they get mauled and not necessarily die. They die of cold, they fall off cliffs. So it's not like the wild is, is you know, all rainbows and unicorns. Um, so we do have to bear that in mind as well. But yeah, my ideal would be to have some kind of world in which if we do have domesticated animals, which are used for whatever reason they're used for, that they are kept in such a way that the animal is, is not just coping, it's doing well. 
Thanks to Professor Himena Nelson from the University of Canterbury, Te Whare Wangana o Waitaha. Ko Clerken Canada ho te kaiho tu o tēne hōtaka i āwhina mai a Liz Garten rawa ko Ellen Rikers. Sound engineering was by Phil Benj and Tim Walken is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Kia whaia i te auhurehanga i tētahi taupanga paiake kia koe. Follow Our Changing World on your favourite podcast app. Tēnā koe i whakarongo mai. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Kia pai tō wiki.